Welcome to the System Hub Podcast. Hola. Konnichiwa. Guten Tag. Where we interview world-class experts. You have to have a lot of passion for what you're doing. I was fanatical in my 20s. If you could find a way to produce a business that works without you, your life would change like that. Extracting, organizing, and optimizing their best systems and processes for rapid business growth. Now, let's get into the show. Welcome back to the Business Systems Summit. In this session, we're going to be chatting with Stephen Etzgetsis. He's a Melbourne-based marketer, and even though he's Melbourne-based, I think every time I chat with him, he's in another country, so I really am starting to wonder. He's uh, an amazing networker, extremely well-connected in the digital marketing space. He's self-taught and cut his teeth learning how to sell things on eBay, gone on to run for build up content and media sites. He's perfected the art of building funnels and he's worked in more niches than you can poke a stick at. He used to be the head of content marketing for ClickFunnels and has since gone on to found Digital Marketers Australia, which brings together the Australian digital marketing community. And he does it through like live meetups and annual events. He's also the owner of a performance-based marketing company that really focuses on building up these content and media sites for himself and clients as well. So long story short, he's got a very broad set of skills, extremely well-rounded in the space of marketing. So it's with great pleasure that I get to welcome Stephen to the summit. Hey, how's it going? Very good. Thank you for making the time. And you are on the other side of the world at the moment. Um, so appreciate that. I know we've got a lot to cover and you're going to share with it in this session your system around building up these content and media sites and pretty much how you take sites from zero to more than a million views in less than 11 months, which is a pretty epic feat. So as a way to just get started, though, it'd be great if, if we can talk through some of the challenges that you see business owners have when it comes to traffic generation and then how this system solves that problem and then we can go through it step by step. Yeah, absolutely. So with the traffic generation, I mean, that's a problem. No matter what niche you're in, doesn't matter if you're B2B, B2C, you always need traffic because if you don't have traffic, you don't get leads, you don't get sales, you don't get any of that. So my background, like you said, is like sales funnels and paid media. And then I moved across and learned SEO and learned exactly how to drive organic traffic. Because the great thing about organic traffic is once you acquire it once, it'll kind of build on top of itself. And it's a compounding traffic source. Unlike paid, which you've obviously got to keep investing in. Pros and cons to both, you know, you should always have both. But I think the biggest challenge with organic traffic, which we'll focus on, and that's the one we took from zero to a million visitors a month organically, is the big problem is I think a lot of people focus on too many individual elements rather than the bigger picture. So they'll look at, oh, is it this, the page speed that's the problem? So maybe we need to speed up the page or is it maybe that the, there's too many keywords we've littered in this article? Maybe we need more keywords or is it, you know, the headline that's different? Maybe people aren't clicking on it. At the end of the day, it comes down to a few critical elements. And what we did was turn it into a boring process and just did it over and over and over and over again consistently. We built out the you know SOPs, standard operating procedures in the business. And then once I did it, we proved it and then outsourced it and then systemized it and then automated it. That's literally been our entire system of innovation and you know growth. That's what's allowed us to get to that. Point. Definitely a, a man from my own heart when it comes to systems and processes and I've, I've got to see it firsthand. So I'm really excited to see you share this. And it's interesting to hear that you went from paid across to organic because I, I kind of gone the other way. I started with organic. I actually think it's better to start with paid and then go to organic than the other way around because it's easy to kind of develop a crutch and support 
on just one particular traffic method and the, the lure of, you know, organic is that it's free. But as we'll kind of see, there's still a process. You, you might be putting time in or other team members' time. There is an investment there. But as you said, I think the best thing about organic traffic is it's it can compound over time. It's not like paid media when once you turn it off, the traffic just dies. This is a snowball. You're building up an asset. And really, that's what I feel like you do with these sites. They're, they're digital assets that you create out of nothing that then become these traffic machines. So, yeah, love for you to take us through your process and your thinking. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's not having one over the other. I think you need both because otherwise you're building your business on rented land. You know, you don't want to have build it on Facebook. You don't want to build it on Google. You want to kind of have an even distribution across both. So that way, ultimately, if everything goes to hell, then you've still got a little bit of traffic coming from somewhere and you're diversified. But yeah, I mean, like, so like I said, we, I was building funnels. I was working at ClickFunnels. Um, that was my bread and butter, building book funnels, webinar funnels, any funnel you can think of, free plus shipping, product funnels, the whole lot. And then the big kind of switch in my head was that with a funnel, you build this funnel, you build out this process selling a product or a service. But when you want to sell the business, you don't have an asset. Like a funnel isn't an asset. It's a selling mechanism. And the big thing for me was, well, when I'm done with this business and I want to exit it, there's going to be a big multiple, hopefully, that this business is going to have, whether it's you know one month on, it's a 12-month revenue multiple, or it could be two years, or you're going to sell the business for a certain amount of money, and you want to be able to build that up. But with a funnel, you don't have that. You're just driving paid media through a bunch of pages, and you're generating revenue, which is great, but you don't have that asset. So I was like, how can we bring those all under and you know build this property, build this asset that we can make sense of? And that's kind of how I got into media properties, which is essentially a fancy name for just a big blog, you know, a big content website. That's all it is. You know, you can call any anything a media property. So I was like, well, let's go into a niche. What's the most competitive niche we can think of? Mine was, I was like, I'm a pretty good marketer, so I want to, you know, put myself up against the big boys. We're going to health. And I know that health definitely has traffic. Like it's proven health, like how to make money, how to keep healthy, and how to find a woman, find a, a partner. They're the three niches that'll be around forever. You know what I mean? So there was, <laughs> I was like, it's going to be one of those three. So we went into health and I was like, it's going to be super competitive, but there's traffic there. So obviously it'll work. And then I kind of learned SEO. Again, it was just self-teaching myself, seeing what the pros were doing, seeing what the real websites were getting them results. And it came down to a few critical things. So with SEO, I'm terrible at on-page optimization, extremely terrible. Like I don't, I'm very bad at it and still learning. So we did next to nothing for on-page. I'm talking terribly. So we you know, throw links here and there, maybe a few outbound links, inbound links, really terrible stuff. I'm much better now, but I'm still not great. And then what I was really good at was creating content and link building. They were the two things that I was really good at and I really wanted to sharpen my sword on because I knew that if I can perfect really good content and get really good links over and over and over again consistently, then I know that's where 80% of the results will come from. And luckily, I was right. The on-page stuff, I'm sure, could probably double whatever we had. But at that point, it was just wasn't a focus. So I knew that link building was something that everyone struggled with, but that's where the results came from. So pretty much, we built up this system to create content with our writers and also acquire links through outbound cold emailing and, and prospecting. And I ask yeah. a question. So if we, we almost drill in and think of step one around getting clear on the target audience that you're going to be sort of building a blog around. A lot of people already have existing businesses and they're, they're looking to basically find 
their target audience out there on the web to put their message in front of them. Whereas you kind of went at it a little bit differently. You're like, hey, where's the biggest market here? Where are people spending money? Let's go build a property in that space because I know I can figure out how to monetize that traffic. Do you have any suggestions for that kind of step one around uh, if someone, let's say, has an existing business, what they should be thinking about? Is this the strategies we go through? Is this something that you would apply on a new site, a media site, or you would apply this thinking to an existing site that you've got? How would you approach that? So I think it definitely works for both. If you're an existing site and you've got a blog, everything we're talking about, about this media site, apply to your blog or because it'll impact your overall website. So really, it's all about becoming the authority in your existing space or the new space you want to go into. So, you know, let's say you're talking about systems, for example, you know, SOPs, let's say that's your business. This, it doesn't have to work just B2C. For B2B, you'll start writing articles about how to systemize your business, how to outsource. So what we did at the very start was we looked at the four or five main different categories within health. So you would look at the four or five different categories within systemizing your business. It might be entrepreneurs need to become more productive. So it's probably a productivity category. Maybe another one is the tools and reviews for the popular tools that help you become more productive and systemize your business. Uh, Another one might be actually doing your lifestyle as well because that might impact your productivity. Whatever it might be, you kind of four or five main pillars. And then it's about doing your keyword research and content research to see what are the main things people are searching for. So if you've got an existing business, it works for... It's really about picking out the four or five big categories within that topic you're in. And I almost feel like that's step two. If if step number one is get very clear on that target audience, step number two then is, okay, well, what are the key categories that are relevant to that target audience? So then you can kind of move into that step three, which is, okay, well, let's now carve this out. Like what, what are the words that help to support that category? Can you tell us a bit about how you go through that phase? The keyword research phase? Yeah, so basically when we get to that point, we start looking at competitors. That's a big thing for us because competitors are people who have already written tons of content that already have a slice of the pie and we want to take over that slice of the pie. So that's usually the easiest way to do it. First of all, you'll make a list of, say, your top 10 to 20 competitors. Depending on how specific your niche is, there might be more or less, but there'll usually always be a handful of people in your market. So it's all about having a look at finding those main sites in your market. Some people will be doing a good job with their SEO strategy. Some people won't. So you want a, a good mix. And then you plug them into a tool like SEMrush, Ahrefs, some of these SEO tools, which really will show you what kind of keywords these other sites are ranking for. So yeah. that's kind of the next step is just finding out who's in the market and what, what are they already talking about. Yeah, and then allocating those underneath the relevant categories. Right. Yeah. So that's it. So then you'll know instantly, you'll say, okay, well, the keyword for how to systemize your business, three of my five competitors have written an article about that. And it's got X amount of search volume. It might have, you know, a thousand people searching for it a month across the world or in the US or Australia or whatever. That's a keyword we need to start looking at. And eventually, you know, once you start comparing all the lists of keywords that everyone's ranking for, you'll start noticing trends and saying, okay, well, this is clearly a keyword that's important. So is this one. So is this one. So is this one. And you start building this document, which is essentially a keyword research document of all the keywords that your competitors are ranking for, how much search volume they have, are they high cost per click keywords as well? So are people bidding on these keywords because people who click on these keywords tend to convert well as a customer. And you end up building this really nice keyword research 
file, I guess, which, um, you know, is all the, the plan of attack for when you're doing your content. Yeah. With that sort of analysis, and I suppose it comes down to prioritization and might move into that next phase, you, you talked about traffic numbers, cost per click and a few things like that. And I know there's no exact magic number that needs to be this particular search volume no. or whatever, but do you have any insights on how you do it? Is it, is it really just a prioritization tool based on what you find or there are some hard lines where you're like, I'm expecting at minimum this criteria? So what I tend to like to do, it depends on, again, uh, how big your industry is. Like if we're looking at health as a broad category, that's too broad. So we dial down to maybe beauty and diet and nutrition and all the different topics. So let's say we're looking at you know diet and nutrition. Because it's a pretty broad category, I wouldn't generally write on any topics that have below a 500 keyword searches per month just because I feel for such a broad industry, that's too low. And then on the upper end, if I'm just starting out with a brand new website or something that haven't, it hasn't, doesn't have a lot of history, Anything over kind of 10,000 keyword searches a month is probably too broad where it gets to the point where unless you're already on an authoritative site, you're not going to start ranking for it really quickly and it's going to be really difficult until you've built up that momentum. So I tend to go for kind of 500 searches a month to 1,500, start there and kind of build the foundation. Once that starts to pick up and I start seeing some traffic within the first three to five months, I'll start looking at the next level, which is kind of 1,500 to four to 5,000 keyword searches a month and then go kind of to the next level after that, after about eight to 12 months. So you kind of want to build that foundation on the longer tail keywords, you know, the, the keywords with a few more words in them that have a few less searches because you can dominate those quicker, a little, a little bit easier, a little bit less competitive and then work your way up as your website builds authority overall. Yeah, feels like at this point you've kind of built a very clear roadmap for yourself around content that you're going to create and you can see what is performing well elsewhere what how do you then take that and, and start to apply it to your site right so the next step for us was i initially because i had my history of writing a click funnels i knew how to write all this stuff but i didn't want to be the one doing it i don't want to be you know the the what's it called the funnel the point in the wheel where every the point in the funnel where everything just has to go through me yeah yeah i didn't want to be blocking it so I was like, well, we want to outsource this and find some writers that are really talented. So for myself, what we did was we found writers from across the US, Canada, South Africa, Philippines, wherever kind of the talent was, um, and we put them through interviews and things like that to hire them. But now that we have that keyword list, we'd basically go to them and say, here's the brief to write an article. And I'd have a very specific brief in terms of how the article should be laid out, which I'll go into in a sec. But I'd basically give them that and say, here's the article we want. Here's how many words it needs to be. Here's the main headline. Here's the keyword we're focusing on. Here are the subheadlines. And this is how we want the entire article to be laid out. This is what this is the plan of the attack. And then the brief would also include things like we want it written in first person. It would be professional but casual. Uh, sorry, it would be professional but not too ca- uh, not too corporate-y. You know, and things like that that would kind of give the writer an entire view of exactly what should be written. We'd link them some resources of other competitors or of other, you know, research that was done. And then it would start to look a bit like a production line, right? So now we've kind of got the entire way forward where we know the keyword that we're looking for, the volume it has, you know, the five to ten competitive competing articles that are about that specific topic. And then it gets passed on to the writer, and now they've got this beautiful brief exactly what to do and how to do it with all the resources they need. 
And it's gone to the point now where they can write a really good article. Most of the time, you know, nine times out of 10, it'll be a really solid article that won't need too many revisions before it gets to the point of the editing role. Yes, yeah. It'll probably depend on the different situation. But what sort of volume are we talking about? And I know, uh, at least in the health space, which is very competitive, and we're talking over that sort of 11th month period that you went from zero to a million views, what, what type of volume were you putting out? So initially, we started out quite slow, which was about uh, two articles a week. Uh, and each article was about 2,000 to 3,000 uh, words. So what we found was that longer articles worked really well. And those long form articles, we wanted to write, well, there's two types of content. There's evergreen content and trending content. And the trending content is, let's say we're talking about a political campaign. That could be something like uh, something about a Trump getting into office. Uh, and that would be something that's trending now. People would click on for the fact of that's news happening right now. And the evergreen content, which is what we focused on, is eight ways to get into politics, which people are going to read for years to come. And for us, we wanted content that's going to work for us and compound over time, not just gone and then jump off a cliff because it's not topical anymore. And that's kind of what we did with all our content as well. So we were writing two to 3,000 words of evergreen content. And eventually, once we, after about three or four months, that scaled up to about eight articles a week of two to 3,000 words. And then I think at the peak, we were doing about two to three articles a day. So we were looking at about 10 to 15 articles a week. But again, like we're a publishing company. That's where the revenue is driven from. If, you're, if you have a blog or you have that as part of your business, you're not going to be doing that kind of volume. You'll probably do, again, probably two articles a week. And that'll be a really strong strategy for you moving forward. You don't need to go as, as crazy as we did because that was our whole business. Yeah, that makes sense. Interesting. I mean, we're building some really quality pieces of content here and it will vary depending on where you pick up the writer and the topic and all those sorts of things. But ballpark, what sort of cost do you think it works out to be on a per published piece of content? I don't know if you've done those sort of numbers. Be interesting to know what your your investment is for that that mini asset. Yeah, we, we didn't crunch the numbers I mean, you've got the writer's cost and then you've got, for us, we wanted an editor to be separate. So it goes through, in, in our business anyway, we had a virtual assistant who would do all the research. So we, they would show them the procedure on how to do the research for the keywords, who our competitors are, how that would work. They would go do the research like I explained and then it would get sent over to the writer. The writer would then write the article based on how long it was and we pay writers on a per word basis. So I think a 2,000 word article was about $100-ish, $100, I think, for about 2,000 words, give or take. Kind of depends on the level of the writer. It's, you know, it's not set in stone. It just depends on who your writer is and what they're like. And then after that, it goes through an editor, and we just paid them a salary in a month-to-month. And then it got through to another virtual assistant who would go out and uh, publish it, would get it on the website, format it perfectly, and then syndicate it on all our social media channels. And then it would go through our entire process we've got for link building, um, which is a whole other beast. So that on the content side, it goes through about four or five stages before it actually hits the website. Yeah, that makes good sense. As far as making the content interesting, I know writing is a big part of it. Then the way that it's presented is, are there any tips around how to make that content engaging as far as images or videos? Or did, did you focus much on that? Yeah, so we definitely had embedded videos because they helped the time on page. We found that was really beneficial and our rankings went up just by including at least one YouTube video embed. We found that 
as well, sometimes you've got to keep an eye on them. People change videos, they go down, so we had to keep an eye on that from time to time. We definitely had images scattered throughout our articles. You have to have that. What else did we do on the page? So, and then what we did was as we grew, um, we didn't do this from the very beginning, but after about three or four months, you'll start to notice the articles that are ranking well. We'll start seeing more traffic. And that'll be, again, it's that 80-20 rule. 20% of the articles are responsible for 80% of the traffic. So we started noticing that, you know, there were specific articles that were doing really well, and they're the ones we wanted to capture leads from and absolutely get all the, you know, the value from. There's no point optimizing all our other articles or doing all of them if we're not going to get traffic from them. So we started looking at those 20%. And what we did, we went through and we put what are called content upgrades in those articles. So we went through and we said, all right, if the article is about seven ways to seven smoothie recipes that you'll be able to make at home, we would say download, you know, three bonus recipes, three bonus smoothie recipes now. Name and email, and then they'd sign up to our email newsletter. It's super specific to that article. We know it's ranking. And it converted really well. I think we saw about 10 to 12% conversions just on that for every single person that was reader. And for us, that was huge. So we can start seeing, you know, and when you're doing a lot of volume on those articles, instantly you're starting to get leads in. Then they go through your email funnel and you can segment people and start selling them different products and services. So that was a really big one that we started doing. Again, we probably could have done it earlier, but as soon as you start seeing some articles do well, definitely, you know, put in some content upgrades and some value. But other than that, it was just pretty much a straightforward blog post. It wasn't anything too crazy. We did have a custom-designed featured image at the top of each of our articles. So we wanted our branding to be around each article. So if it got shared online, it would have our logo in the corner, a cool little image. So, yeah, nothing too crazy. Yeah, and I think that idea of then watching the metrics and that would also then influence as well feedback into your content engine. You're like, oh, this area seems to be quite Absolutely. We're grabbing attention and what else can we do to grab attention in that space? Yeah, absolutely. So then we, you know, just use that data to find, all right, well, let's maybe go more specific. Or the other thing as well is if you've got something that's doing really well, you want to make sure to update that content every three to six months. You don't want to just let it sit because as soon as someone else comes along, they'll do the same thing we did. Who are the, who's everyone ranking? Let's make a better article, publish it. It's more up to date. So you've got to keep on top of your, your content, keep it fresh, add things to it, update it. Otherwise, you're going to end up dropping and losing rankings as well. Yeah, that makes good sense. So now I feel like, yeah, you've got a pretty solid system and process around that content creation and you kind of hinted at that marrying together with your link building process. It'd be great if we can kind of go through that piece as well. Where, where it, yeah, how do you kind of marry that? And do you, is that something that you start once you've got some content up there or you start it straight away? What does that look like? So the link building process for us was one of the strategies that was responsible for a lot of traffic was what's called skyscraper outreach. And essentially what that means is finding competing articles, uh, reaching out to people who link to those articles, and then basically having them add our link alongside our competitors' links. And that process happens as soon as we publish an article. So we publish an article uh, or an infographic. That was one thing I forgot to mention. We published a lot of infographics as well. So we had a designer on our team. We still do have the designer on our team, but that was responsible for a lot of uh, link building as well. So yeah, as soon as we publish an article, it would then go into a new system and someone else responsible for that. And we would start looking at, all right, who are all our competing websites that are ranking for this keyword that we just wrote an article for? We would look them up in a tool like SEMrush again or Ahrefs to see who's linking to our competitors. And then try to find, find their emails, dig it up through tools like hunter.io, 
you know, there's a lot of tools out there that help you find emails through people's domain or you just look on their website. And from there, we would say, yeah, who's, who's linking to this website? And then reach out to them and say, hey, we'd, uh, we've just published this article. It's fantastic. Here are the benefits. We'd love to, you know, get a link added to your site. And we'd split test a whole bunch of different outreach messages to see what would convert the best over time. And then that would become a conversation in the inbox. So we'd then be in Gmail, our VAs would be in there talking back and forth with all these people we've emailed and trying to secure links for each of these different topics that we've published. Some insights around that outreach because that, yeah, I think it sounds like you've tested a few different things. Have you tested, you know, a two-step versus a one-step, if that works better as far as just getting them to respond, yes, you got the email and then going for the ask or emailing through the contact and then explaining front and center here's you know an article we've spotted you've linked to and and we've got an article here that supports it really well would you link to that as well do you have any insights on yeah the actual approach for that yeah Yeah. i mean we've tried a fair bit and we've tried that two-step process it just doesn't we found the conversions are pretty similar when you just go for the kill straight up uh, as as brutal as it sounds if you go for that ask if you go for that question then you you want the link early on we noticed that that was just as successful as going through multiple steps. And you'd want to have less emails in the interaction than more because then we're paying for our team members' time that are in the emails. And there's also, it's just easy to manage. You don't want to have tons of back and forth and spending time on follow-ups and things like that. So we kind of just reached out to them. We showed them how beneficial our article was because it was really good, really high quality. This process doesn't work if you're just churning out crappy content. And then from there, we'd also have infographics as well that would support the article. Uh, a lot of blogs don't have that or they've never published that because they don't have the resources, but we devoted some you know, resources to that. Other things as well were like yeah, just the presentation of your article, featured images, making sure it's up to date for 2019 or whatever year you're publishing on. And then, yeah, just talking about the benefits to the actual webmaster. Sometimes you'll have to go, you might, if it's a big website, you get sent to sales or biz dev instead of the webmaster themselves. So it takes a little while to get through those gatekeepers or to find the right person. But it's just a numbers game. Honestly, uh, the biggest thing for us was we started doing this manually. We you know, send out maybe 10 emails a day and then we quickly scaled up to 50 and then to 100. And then we got up to a, you know, a thousand emails a day, probably more that we were sending out to all these people because we were publishing so much content and, you know, that was just part of the process. We've systemized it to a point where we could scale that. Uh, you've, you know, once you get to that level, you find new problems. For example, you don't want to email the same people twice, which we've done in the past. And that's ended up just, you know, by accident. We obviously don't intend to, but uh, you got to be careful of that because some people just say straight up no. And then if you accidentally email, they'll get even more angry. So we hit that a couple of times. Um, so you've got to have really good systems to, you know, handle a lot of these things. And then to speed up and automate this process, there's, you know, canned responses in Gmail. So we template all our replies. Once we send that initial uh, cold email out, there's only so many things someone's going to say back to us. They'll either say no, they'll either say more information, they'll either say we're busy right now, they'll either say, yeah, we'd love to. So, you know, we'll have four or five different responses that we'll instantly just copy and paste straight into those replies. It's kind of just like a bucket, you know, it goes from here and then, all right, which one do they go through? It goes over here, all right, it goes down to the next one. So we kind of mapped this all out, built a system around it. And yeah, it just kind of worked like clockwork. Over time, you find different problems and you plug the hole and then we'll go to the next one, plug the hole and go to the next one. And that's kind of how we built our systems around all these link building strategies. And over time, 
the authorization, authorization, the authoritativeness of our website would go up. So we can start targeting those broader keywords, more competitive. And it just worked really well. That, that's literally all we did. We just did tons of content, found really good writers, tons of link building. And that was responsible for millions upon millions of visitors coming through our site in a really competitive space. That I, and I'm not a health expert. So we'd bring on the health writers that have experience, bring on the researchers, but I'm, you know, I'm just an everyday guy. So I'm not a, a health nut by any means. It's just a, a space that I knew that we could do really well in. And we ended up doing quite well at it. But yeah, that was our process. Question around the uh, emails, just so someone has um, just a little bit of an idea of response rate, because it can get pretty disheartening with mm. outreaching and because you will get no's in this process. Oh, definitely will. You get way more no's than yes. <laughs> yeah. Do you have an idea of response rates? I don't know, one out of every hundred or yeah, thousand? So in terms of response rates, you would get opens and then you get reply rates and then you get bounces and then you've got the conversations that end up in those replies as well. So from memory, the reply rate, I think we were getting changed as we started sending more emails. So Google as well doesn't love sending emails. So we use a tool called Mailshake that we did for all our cold emailing. That's great and highly recommend it. But we did we use that tool and then as you send more emails, you need more email accounts. Otherwise, Google starts getting unhappy. So we just use it integrated with your Gmail and start sending out Gmail emails. But basically, I think on average, the reply rate we got was about 11% on emails, which is pretty good given that we were sending so many. So if we were sending like 100 uh, emails out, we'd probably get 11 replies typically. And that's after a lot of back and forth and trial and error with our templates. I think we started about three or 4% with replies and we kind of built it up. So that's the kind of typical reply rate you'll get. I think open rates were about 20%-ish, 20 to 25%. So we were kind of looking at maybe 35% of people who opened an email would reply, thereabouts. And then we would get about nine or 10%, I think, bounces as well, because tools like hunter.io, people change their emails if they leave a company, if it's just expired or whatever it might be. So they're not always accurate as well. But again, we put systems in place to try help that. So what we did after we sent a bunch of emails is before we actually send these emails, we wanted to scrub that list and make sure those emails were verified. So we use an API or use a tool called like email verifier. It would go through, send like a, a test email, but it doesn't actually send anything and tells you if the email works or not. And then we would clean that list and then all the ones that were good, we'd then actually send emails to. And again, that would bump up our, our success rate overall. So there's little tricks you can do along the way that can help you get that open rate higher. And then you start seeing more and more emails be opened, more and more replies, et cetera, et cetera. And from a reply point of view, are you classing a reply as success? Then of those, how, how many actually then take the action that you're after? It's hard to say. We don't have an overall number because the conversation might stay in the inbox for 30 days before we see a successful link or it could be within two days. So it's very hard to measure. If I went back now to campaigns we did, say, last year, I could probably tell you, but I never worked that out. We definitely had a lot more people who said no or were busy or some other reason than say yes. So overall, even if you do all that stuff really well, you're still going to get more no's than yeses. So you just got to be prepared for that. That's just part of the game. So don't be disheartened if you get no's or you get you know people that say not now or I'm busy or whatever. But the successful links are the ones that are going to move you forward. So 
we would tell our team members, you know, the goal is to get the link. Some people would say, oh, but, you know, we want a reciprocal link. If you add one of us, we'll add one on yours. Or we'd be like, no, I think right now we can share you on social media or something, but we don't want to give that reciprocal link because then it doesn't do really anything. Again, like this, it's just so many conversations that happen in that process. I was in that inbox at the start of the business replying to all of them myself, and it's a really draining process until we outsourced it. So, yeah. It's just a numbers game. <laughs> I wish I could say it's a fun game, but it's literally just a numbers game and a conversations game. But the people who are doing it can see some really great results uh, because it's so time consuming and it's a bit disheartening. Like you said, a lot of people stay away from link building for that reason. And this is only one strategy. You know, Then you've got others like broken link building and all these different ways to try and get links on websites. But this was one of our strategies. Yeah, and you, you touched briefly on the broken link building, which is this idea of someone else might be linking to a successful article or a good article back in the day. That link is now broken. You can then outreach to them and say, hey, maybe you should now link to my updated version, which is... Exactly. So I think, I mean, the key here, and, and I loved just the way that you explained it because you, you articulated it as a systems thinker, which is you get the the base level system down. So you've got something that operates enough where the system architect can kind of step out and things start to happen without them. They can look objectively at the system and then start to identify where the issue happens. Oh, there's a fire over here. Our emails aren't getting delivered. Um, We're not getting the right open rates. We're getting knocked back here. And then as the system architect, you can then start to re-engineer, shape the system, you know, whether that's amending or updating an existing system that you have in place or, hey, we need to actually create a new system that solves this particular problem. And that is really how it happens. It evolves over time. And I actually see this in business. Like business is simply a collection of systems. We're kind of zoomed in on the the microcosm of marketing. But the same methodology that Stephen outlined here actually applies in all of the departments in business. So it's yeah, fantastic uh, example. And I suppose the, the tail end where he dropped the nugget of, oh, and then there are other systems for link building, like the broken links. It's a matter of now building up a set of these systems. It's all supporting this goal of building the backlink, which builds up the asset and he's got great content. And then now you've got this powerhouse traffic machine where you're driving lots of organic traffic which gets the attention and then you as the media property owner can then decide where you direct that attention and that's that's obviously where you get paid and i know one of the reasons probably steve steven moved into the health space is because there's money to be made in that space (laughs) we know competitive spaces people want to get the attention in that space because people are spending money so i think thinking in terms of your industry and the person watching this and the space that you play you can take this whole process and then map it to your business and I I can immediately see how successful it can be and how systemized it can be to the point at which it works without the owner or certain key department heads like it can be broken down into these pieces so a big thank you for that yeah I mean like my philosophy has always been build it first to make sure it's successful and then optimize that process until you know you get all the kinks out of it then outsource it and then op- and then automate it because you want to get to that point where there's no point you know doing all this stuff if it's not a working thing already you don't want to just aut- instantly jump to automate until you've actually proven it yourself so i was in there like i said doing all this stuff we had 
I was just in the office doing the whole lot and then I'd work on little bits and pieces. So now that we systemized it, we automated it. So once we systemized it, sorry, and we outsourced it, then I actually invested in technology to automate all this. So hired a software company to help us do all the integrations with the Hunter API and the verifying and then the outreaching and collecting the data. So now it's literally turned into a software company that does all this for us. You know, obviously it takes money to invest and do all this once you're at that point, but you know, it's now become a, a software company on the back end that helps us find a competitive edge that everyone else is doing this manually doesn't have. So as you kind of build through these steps, it's like a you know a little staircase. You start doing it yourself, then you start getting others to do it, and then you systemize it, and then or you systemize it, get others to do it, and then automate it into software itself. Yeah, um, it's all about just becoming more efficient and, and optimizing it, and then you kind of start again and you optimize again, and then you build up and you build up and you build up. And that's kind of how I've always seen it. So that way, the ultimate goal, like I said at the start of the interview, was we wanted to build this asset, this media property. So now if you're a software company, you have unique IP for your entire system and it's all documented, you become worth so much more when you're ready to exit the company than anyone else. So even if you're, whoever's listening, you know, if you're out there and you're doing this, think about how the processes are in your company. You know, you want to turn into like a McDonald's level production line where you just plug in anyone in, if they're not happy, they go and then someone else can come in and the value of the company still remains the same um, and it's just dead easy. Uh, and it's funny, you know, people kind of like get scared by, oh, like if I systemize it so much, we lose our IP. But I'm like, well, McDonald's, another great example. I'm like, these guys are just making a burger. Like at the end of the day, it's just a burger. Burgers are everywhere. But these, it's their system that's so important, that's made it so unique that you can just plug in anyone and take it out. Uh, and people still keep coming back because it's the same reliable result that you're going to get. So we wanted to do the same thing with our processes. You touched on a couple of really key things there, um, particularly with the focus around McDonald's and the staged process. When I think about the way that, let's say, Google, since we're focusing on the web, builds out their algorithm, uh, it always starts off with effectively this hypothesis, an idea. Then they kind of build it into some sort of manual guidelines where they've got these researchers who actually eyeball websites and affect rankings based on how sites are meeting that criteria. Then if they go, hey, this is improving search results, then it gets written into the machine. So it's even Google, who is the ultimate tech company, they don't start with the machine component first or completely automating it. You're right. They, they go through this process of, of testing. And, and it's very like... People see McDonald's as the poster child for a systemized business. And what they're looking at oftentimes is the end product of a company that's been systemizing for 60 years. So they go, I need a systemized like McDonald's, who is the Olympic athlete when it comes to systemization, when you know they can't even run 100 meters without being out of breath. So you've got to first start off like Stephen has done and suggested with that initial framework do the testing and then you start leveling up you want to systemize like mcdonald's was 60 years ago not like mcdonald's is today so i think yeah, yeah. You just if you watch that i don't know if you've seen the movie that the founder the one that and he's literally like when they're i love that scene in the movie where they're in there and they're on a basketball court or a tennis court mapping out the, the kitchen and they go through about 10 iterations before they get what they call the speedy system for their kitchen to work and that's kind of what we did, you know, what was our like speedy system equivalent for our link building process or our content process. You've got to get your hands dirty early on to test it yourself and then prove it 
and then you know systemize it, outsource it, automate it. And that's where the value is in, in the business. Now you've built this machine that works without you. And ultimately, when someone wants to buy a business, they want to de-risk themselves to go, this will continue to work beyond the owner leaving. It's not single person dependent. And you've effectively de-risked it heavily with systems and processes and software. And now you're much more attractive. Your valuation goes up significantly. So whether you end up selling or not either is is irrelevant. Like I always say, you, you, you build it to sell it. You may or may not sell it. I mean, don't make that decision now. Some people just aren't quite ready to make that that mental thought. But at least start now because that gives you options. And then, yep. you know, who knows what happens a little bit f- further down the road. So we'll, we'll leave it, I think, in the tail end. I, I don't know if there are any final points we want to mention before we start talking about how people can find out more about your work. But, yeah, big thank you for the system. Yeah, no, if, if anyone's got questions, feel free to reach out to me directly. I'm more than happy to answer them. Like I said, I'm a systems nerd as well. I love the systems side of things. Yeah, one, actually, I'll leave one more tip as well that I recommend that kind of everyone can do is, a big thing for us system-wise is like having that wiki, you know, and Systems Hub is a great place to do that. But having those, you know, the place where you can just go in and, you know, bring people in to just upskilling them. The, the hardest thing I found was to keep that area up to date. We'd make a lot of changes and then forget to update the actual knowledge base. So that's something that you can definitely obviously take advantage of, you know, with Dave's help here. But around there, around that and, and yeah, building it into the culture. So I think yeah. having that central source and then pairing it, like you said, with a, um, a project management tool. The magic happens when you've got a central knowledge base and then you pair that with, you know, the Trello or Basecamp or, or Podio, just something where you can assign who does what by when and here's the how-to on how's it done. That's that's the magical combination. Yeah, so definitely, yeah, if you can do that, that's one thing that we struggled with early on. We're getting better at it, still not perfect. But yeah, I'm trying to think of other tools that we use because I'm a tools nerd as well. So we use, like, I think I mentioned Hunter.io for finding emails. Mailshake was used for our email outreach. I'm an, a big active campaign user when it comes to autoresponders. Um, one thing that, uh, this is another conversation for another day, but push notifications were massive for us in terms of monetization. What else was there? Yeah, and then like all our project management tools. So we started on Trello. After about 12 months, we just we got too big for it. We moved to Jira from Atlassian. That was a heavy time investment and setup investment because I didn't know anything about it. We had to get a consultant in. But it's, it's just like a Trello on steroids essentially, which has been good. But yeah, I mean like there's tons of Sana, all those ones, Basecamp, they're all out there that you can kind of use. But yeah, obviously there's tons of tools and obviously the key one system hub, as you can see, is a, is a great one to jump on as well. And uh, yeah, I think tools are something that's definitely saved us a lot of time. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think from here, I'll make sure I, I link to the tools that you mentioned. We'll link over to your website. Also want to mention to link to Digital Marketers Australia. You guys run an annual event and uh, I attended the first one and it's one of those things that particularly if you're based in Australia, you need to go this to this. It is the go-to event for digital marketers, brings everybody together, great talent. We have a lot of talent here in Australia and Stephen's pulling something together magical. So I wanted to mention that now because, yes, uh, we'll release this as part of the summit, but I'll also make sure we re-release it just as we're leading into that event as well. So I'll put a link through to the event to find out more. I don't know if you want to mention anything about that or if people want to find out more best place for them to go. 
Yeah, just head definitely look up Digital Marketers Australia Conference on Google or just digitalmarketersaustralia.com. This year, or for 2020, the conference is going to be at, in Melbourne at the Pullman in Albert Park. There's going to be you know over a 1,000 people there. It's going to be phenomenal. We're going to have tons of speakers covering everything from SEO, uh, Facebook ads, Google, influencer marketing, Instagram, LinkedIn, B2B, lead generation, like everything that you want over three days, February 12th, 13th, and 14th is going to be the dates. Definitely get your tickets and, you know, let me know once you get there and it'll, it'll be awesome. There's going to be parties on both nights before the event and it's just all, really it's just one big party and fun networking and the content is going to be something like you've never seen before because I'm a bit of a conference geek as well. So I'm a tools geek, system geek, and now a conference geek. I go to conferences all the time around the world and one thing that, you know, I, I thought I could put together was a really successful conference and we've got so much awesome talent. We had people flying in from India and Canada and New Zealand and the States last year just to come to the event. So people are traveling to, just to come to this event. So it is, we're putting on a world-class event, not just a small meetup or a small event. So if you can make it out, it would be awesome. I'm sure we'll do it. I'll be coming along too. So You'll be there. So it'll be a lot of fun. We'll connect, we'll share a beer. So thank you, Stephen, very much for your time. And yeah, we'll talk soon. Awesome. Thank you, Dave. You've just been listening to the System Hub Podcast. Remember, we've documented this system for you so you can literally swipe and deploy it within your business. Head to www.systemhub.com forward slash podcast to download it now. 